Hello everyone! This is the Controller Disconnected Podcast. I am your host, Matthias Carnero. Today we will be talking about the game Disintegration, developed by V1 Interactive. If you haven't heard of it yet, it's because it hasn't been released. There was a beta last week that I played a little bit of, and I would like to analyze some of its gameplay and give my own impressions of what I think of it so far. That's basically it. Let's begin! This is the Disintegration Beta. The beta happened on two separate occasions. First off, there was a closed beta on January 29th, which you needed a code to access. I managed to snag one from the PlayStation Lifestyle Twitter through some quick action, so I have them to thank for this. Very soon after that, there was the open beta on January 31st and February 1st. There wasn't any difference between both times other than the amount of people playing the game. I don't think many people got a code for the closed beta, so there were very few actual players on it, which caused the matchmaking to take an insane amount of time. I think the first match I tried to play, I believe I had to wait for about 2 minutes before getting in one, and it didn't get any better after that, and one time I waited up to 7 minutes before giving up and coming back for the open beta later. Fortunately, there were a lot more people playing by then, and the longest wait between matches I had by then was about 30 seconds to 1 minute. Now, the game itself, what's it like? If I had to sum it up quickly, I'd say it's a mix of real-time strategy with a shooter game. If someone had told me of a game like this without showing me anything, it would probably pique my interest quite a bit. While I'm not a big fan, nor do I have great skills with RTSs, I enjoy a good mix and match of games. Imagine hovering over the arena designating targets for your troops, while at the same time you can attack the enemy yourself with your own guns. That sounds like a money printing idea, especially if it's based under something like the Cometed Cocker or the StarCraft license. But I digress, let's get back to the game at hand. You, the player, control a ship hovering above ground called a Graph Cycle. I'm not quite sure how to describe it, how it looks, but it reminds me of the pods from the Star Wars prequels, but with guns on the sides for shooting stuff. Those movies had pod racing, now this is pod fighting. I should trademark that before Disney comes for my ass. Well, from your grab cycle above, you control a small squad of two to three soldiers on the ground who follow you around and attack any enemies they get near. You can point them at a certain spot to make them move over there and point at an enemy so they will attack them directly, or at an objective so they will do whatever the objective requires. You can't customize the squad's loadouts though, at least not during the beta, but the guns they use change depending on which crew you picked, and we'll talk more about that later on. If any members of your squad are killed, you can pick up the little skull icon they drop to respond them more quickly, although they will respond regardless after some time. The game teaches you all of this when you first start it up on a small tutorial level. Regarding your own movement, you can raise and lower the altitude in your grav cycle, and you can also press a button for a quick boost to move faster or to run away from a fight and hide to recover. Aside from your main guns, you also have an alternate weapon that varies from each crew. And your squad also has their own equipment with concussion grenades or rocket launchers, for example. Already at this early stage in the game though, I found something that bothered me a lot. The letters on the user interface, and just the interface in general, are very, very, very tiny. This isn't the only game guilty of this problem. With resolutions getting bigger and bigger, developers take advantage of it by being able to display more details on the game, but oftentimes it ends up making the interfaces small in turn. 
Even a great game like The Witcher 3 got criticized for this some years ago, and CD Projekt Red added an option to make the UI bigger for those who had trouble reading it. But this integration doesn't have that option, so I have to squint to read the heads-up display in a match, and the menus are even worse, so I have to get closer to the screen to understand what they say. I have a 55-inch TV, I shouldn't need to do this. I am not burning my eyes off for the sake of your game, V1. But now, let's talk about some things that we can change in the game. There are rather few things that can be customized, and they are quite basic too. You can create your own badges on an editor, choosing from different shapes and logos and sizes. You can resize them, rotate them, stretch them, flip them, buy it, use it, break it, fix it, trash it, change it, mail, upgrade it. And there are also preset banners to choose from, with some of them being animated and actually looking pretty cool. And lastly, there are some holographic emotes which pop up in front of your ship when you activate them. There's a sad face, a happy face, a thumbs up, that kind of stuff. The only problem is that you can't see them yourself because, you know, they pop up right in front of your screen. You're really just supposed to use them to express yourself to enemies and teammates, I guess. And now we get to talk about the crews and their appearances, which I think is one of the nice things about this game. Aside from their weapons, some stats like speed, handling, and health also change, but it's mostly imperceptible in my experience. I tended to suck equally across all crews. And they're also all robots, not a single human inside in this world. I suppose in the world of disintegration, artificial intelligence did rise against us. Well, to begin with, we have the Sideshow. They're creepy killer circus clowns, like robot versions of It or Sweet Tooth without the flaming head. Or the Joker, if you want to be more contemporary. The only weapon you can use against enemies with this crew is a sticky grenade launcher. You fire the grenades, they stick, you press a button to blow them up, and deal damage. Simple. If you like blowing things up of your own will, or you are very into makeup, this is the crew for you. Next is the King's Guard, the medieval knights in shiny armor with the most pathetic weapon of all. A glorified crossbow with a snail-like rate of fire and terribly low damage. It's pathetic and useless, and I recommend you stay as far away as possible from it. The developers already have some work cut out for them in the full game. A little more useful than that is their alternate weapon, which are healing cores. You fire these at the ground below you, and it creates a healing aura around it, where you can recover some health. And your teammates can also use it, so everybody wins. Oh, and as a personal request of the developers, please let me use a sword with this class. They have a sword right on the menu when you pick them. I don't care how you do it or if it goes against the concept of the game, just let me do it. They're robots in Middle Ages steel armor, how can you not let me use a sword with them? And then there's the Lost Ronin, Robotic Samurai. You zips up around with two burst fire rifles and a barrage of heat-seeking rockets. I've never been good with burst fire weapons, dating all the way back to when I still played Call of Duty, so I couldn't really get the maximum out of this crew. But the rockets are great for dealing a lot of damage very quickly, much like the Sideshow Sticky Grenades. Pull them out, lock in a target, and fire. With enough luck, that's all you need to destroy your fellow Graf Cyclers. The only thing they're missing is a sword, because, you know, they're samurai, and I just really want a sword. And now for my favorite class of the game, Neon Dreams. Think Hotline Miami, but instead of animal masks, they're just robots with helmets. They're full of bright colors, straight out of a retrowave future with cool sunglasses and all that stuff. They use two fully automatic assault rifles to mow down enemies. And they have a very fast rate of fire, so you'll be reloading often, but also because the magazine sizes are very small. That's something else to be looked into. 
The other weapon this class has is something called an Ion Disruptor, something which you're supposed to hit the other enemies with. It doesn't do much damage by itself, but it greatly increases any damage dealt against any enemy affected by it. With the right use, you can destroy an enemy in about 5 seconds, no joke. From Retro Week, we go to Cyberpunk, with Tech Noir. They take the term quite literally, as they are robots dressed in punk attire. Their weapon of choice is a semi-automatic rifle, more useful than the King's Court Crossbow, but still not good enough for me. They also have the same healing cores as the Knights, so I don't really understand why there are two classes that function so similarly. I think that either one of them would have to be cut, or one of them would need a sword. Please give me a sword. After Cyberpunk comes Post-Apocalypse with the Warhead's crew, spelt W-A-R-H-E-D-Z. Their graph cycle is full of spikes and rust, like something straight out of a robotic Mad Max. Their weapon of choice is the Trinades, a grenade launcher that fires multiple rounds per shot. This really is a great game for people who like blowing things up in different ways. Their alternate weapon also blows things up, and very hard. It's called Warhead, spelled correctly this time. To use it, you must charge it up, and then it fires a ball of energy which causes a great explosion and a confirmed kill if it strikes an enemy. Just make sure to hit your targets because it takes a long time to reload this weapon, and then you have to charge it again, so if you're not careful, you're the one getting blown up. Reading the stats, this also seems to be the chonkiest class of the bunch, so I also guess it has more health. But also, like I said, it doesn't really matter much in the end. Last of all is the business. They act like tough guys and dress like gangsters, the modern kind, not the mafioso type. They use the same assault rifles as the Neon Dreams class, but their secondary weapon is a shotgun. At least that's what it's called. When I tried to fire it, it just shot once and then I had to wait for it to cool down and reload. Maybe I used it wrong, but maybe it wasn't well made either. And those are all the crews! We'll take a quick break and then we'll come back to talk about the game modes, maps and gameplay impressions. There were three game modes on display in the menus, but only two of them were playable during the beta. The first is Zone Control, or Territory Control, the game uses both names for some reason. It's your basic domination mode, there are three objectives in the map that must be captured. To capture them, you must command your squad to stand inside the zone until it's under your control. The more zones your team controls, the more points you get. Get all the points, or the most points when time runs out, and you win. Not very complicated, and there aren't any hidden features that set it apart from other similar modes. The map on this mode is called Junkyard, and it is, well, a junkyard. You move around piles of bent metal which make for tight corridors and caves, only opening up into large capture zones where most of the combat happens as a result. Firefights can get pretty chaotic sometimes, and with everybody being distracted firing at each other, it can be easy to sneak up behind your enemies and help your teammates. Most of the fighting also tends to center in the B zone, right in the middle of the map, 
So if your enemies are too busy over there, you can capture the A and C zones right from under their noses if you're quick. The other playable mode was Retrieval. Teams are separated into offense and defense. The offensive team has to retrieve cores from two different objectives and take them to a drop-off in the middle of the map, where they'll be put in a rocket and fire off into space or something. The defensive team has to stop that from happening by shooting them. The cores are placed in two different corners of the map, and you have to point your squad at it to pick them up. From then on, it becomes a sort of escort mission until the drop-off point, but in my experience there was barely any need to protect my squad from enemies. It's all about finding the right path to avoid detection and combat. If your squad is killed and drops the core, it's not completely over. Someone else on your team can pick it up and continue to carry it on. But I don't think that many people knew about that because almost nobody was aware that you could do it. It's a good thing there's more than one core then, otherwise the gameplay cycle would be really slow. When the core is dropped, it starts to overload, which means it's going to blow up, so you have to be quick to drop it off if you pick it back up. If it does explode, then it just goes back to its original place and you have to start the process all over again. The offense wins if they capture at least one core before the end of the round, and the defense wins if they stop all their attempts successfully. For the second round, the teams are flipped and the game begins again. The map on the retrieval mode is called Lowtown. It's an abandoned city full of tight corners and spaces, so there's a lot of mostly close quarters combat. The widest space is the drop-off, and since both teams rush over there after the cores are captured, that's where most of the combat tends to happen. The last mode is called Collector, but it wasn't available during the beta, so I don't know what it actually plays like. Judging from its description of kill enemies, pick up cans, I suppose it's similar to the kill confirmed mode from the Call of Duty games, where you kill other enemies and pick up their dog tags to make sure your team scores. But we'll have to wait until the full game to find out. So far, I've described almost everything the game has to offer, but how does it actually feel to play it? In short, not very good. The drive cycle movement is very slow, so it gets boring at times when you're only moving around and not doing anything shooting anyone. You do have the boost, but it lasts for a very short time, and it takes a while to recharge after that. The purpose of the boost is really to escape from a battle, but the slow movement of the graph cycles makes you want to tap it to go faster, and it gets annoying having to wait for it to come back just so you can move a little more quickly. Hopefully the developers will change this before the final release. The maps themselves are very tight for the most part, so there isn't a lot of freedom of movement there either. Maybe this is why the graph cycles were made to be so slow, but I think that it might have gone a bit too far. With regards to the tight map design, I don't think they can change anything at this stage, so whoever buys the game will just have to deal with it, unfortunately. With any luck, the other maps will feel better to play in. The shooting feels very muted because there's no punch to any of the guns when you fire them, although this could be corrected with a few tweaks on the sound design. On very hectic firefights, the frame rate drops severely, and the game can't keep up with its own pace. I was playing on an original PS4, but even then, this shouldn't be happening so often and dropping so many frames. And one last little complaint to round this up is that the developers misspelled the word respawning on the spectator mode as you wait to come back. It says respawning. Come on, people, I was hoping you could get at least the English language right. To sum it all up, should you play Disintegration when it comes out? I don't really think so. If it were a free-to-play game, I'd say sure, go ahead, give it a try. But there's a campaign coming along the multiplayer section, so I don't think that'll be the case. I just hope it doesn't come at full price, or else this thing is gonna tank with the, all the bad reviews it's been getting. It's not just me who has been saying bad things about this game. It's also Destructoid, Metro UK, and the Australian YouTuber SkillUp, who said that it feels like a game that belongs in the past, which is also a sentiment I had while playing. It feels like a game that would be released around the middle of the PlayStation lifecycle, 
maybe around 2010 or 2011, during the early days of free-to-play games. I personally don't think I'll be buying the game whenever it comes out later this year, but if it shows up for free on PS Plus, then maybe I might take another look. And one thing before ending the episode, I think that I played with a streamer during one of my matches. It sounded like they were talking to a chat and thanking him for giving them bits, so I assumed they were streaming on Twitch. I couldn't find them on the actual website though, so I am not sure. If you're listening to this podcast, dear Nocturne3570, I wish you the best in your streaming career, and I would advise you to complain a little less while playing, because I carried the team during the match we played together. And that does it for this episode of Controller Disconnected. Thank you very much for listening, and please give us a kind review on Apple Podcasts and Podchaser. You can find an easy link to both in the show notes, or you can go straight to ratethispodcast.com slash condisconnected. You can also subscribe to the show wherever you may be listening, and we are available on all podcast platforms. If you can find us, we'll find you. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at the handle at condisconnected. Once again, thank you for listening. I am Matthias Carnero, and I really want a sword.